Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Tuesday Buckeye Talk from Cleveland.com. Doug Maurice. We're going to brush on a few topics today. We're going to talk about why Ohio State fans might be rooting for Iowa. Talk a little bit, doubling back on some of your thoughts on college football betting and sort of wrap up a couple different things that uh, have been out there. A little offensive line talk, kind of a um, a rewrap on some recent talk at topics. It'll be just me, but we have like three or four monster pods planned for the next couple. So little lighter here. We're talkables coming and a big picture Ohio state discussion coming Wednesday pod will be, I think a, an interesting big picture look about risks and recruiting. But for now we'll start with TV stuff. Cause this does affect you guys. And news was coming out this week. That well, not the games are getting announced. They just like everything, the NFL does it better than anybody, turning something that used to be a press release or an email into an event. And like the Ohio State, the the NFL schedule release is an event now. And the NFL, you know the teams that you're going to play, and you're just finding out what week you're playing them, and are you playing them at one o'clock or at four o'clock or on a Sunday night or a Thursday night, whatever. So college football is not all the way there yet. I would not be surprised if they get there. I would not at all be surprised if they get there. But the issue is there's a lot more networks involved with college football and college football is regional and have everybody together. Like the Big Ten to have a Big Ten schedule release extravaganza, I could see them getting to the Big Ten also reserves a lot of games for later. And they move things around later in the year based on who's good, which games matter the most. But that is going to get more complicated as we have more networks involved. So as you guys know, it used to be Fox and ESPN with the Big Ten Network mixed in. And again, Fox is whatever, 51% owner of the Big Ten Network. And now starting this season, we're going to a world where it's CBS, NBC, Fox, Big Ten Network, and Peacock, which is the streaming service from NBC. And that's what I want to talk about because... They have not announced any Peacock games yet. And we knew there were going to be Peacock games. This season, and I think going forward, but I know for this season at least, there will be eight Big Ten games shown only on Peacock, which, as I check, is a f- costs $4.99 a month to subscribe to as a streaming service. So that's not a huge lift to say, hey, you got to subscribe to this streaming service, even if you only care about one game in October. So you've got to subscribe for a month. It's costing you five bucks. Frankly, if they just said, do you want to pay five bucks to get this one game and then not have to mess with anything else with cancellation or anything, or we'll sell you the game for three bucks and you can subscribe to the whole network for five. 
I think that would make more sense. I, you know, I don't think it's a terrible thing to have to pay a couple bucks. Is it, access is the new deal, right? Though, right? Can can you guys get it? And this is reminding, and this is my concern. This reminds me of when the Big Ten Network was launched, but there's one thing that is completely different. When the Big Ten Network was launched, however many years ago it was now, 15 years ago, man, I can remember covering a lot of that as that season started, and there was concern about whether cable companies that you guys got cable in your house, would the cable company get the Big Ten Network and make it possible for you to get it? And back then, that was the Big Ten Network, Jim Delaney, Big Ten Commissioner, saying, we're going to start a new network and we're going to force cable companies to get it because your interest as Big Ten and Ohio State fans will be so great that you will demand to your cable company, you better get this, this network. And if you don't, I'll, I'll change and switch to this cable company that does do it. Now, when it's just cable and you know, you're limited by what cable companies are in your area, but it was the Big Ten Network putting the squeeze on the cable companies. If you want to watch Ohio State, you've got to get your cable company to do this. And then as a result, every time you add channels to your cable package, the price of your overall cable goes up a little bit, right? So all of us wind up paying for channels that we have no interest in if you still have cable or YouTube TV or you use Hulu as your TV subscriber. When stuff is bundled, you pay for stuff you don't want. But it's okay. Big Ten Network's in the bundle. That's force on the cable companies, not directly on you. Peacock now with the streaming service, this is the first time the Big Ten is making a foray into a streaming service. It's on you. Because every it, like it's available to everybody. If you're older and your TV's older, maybe you, know, you got to get the app on your TV, but you can at least get it on your phone and your friend or your neighbor, or your grandkid or your daughter or somebody, your cousin, the geek squad from Best Buy or somebody can help you figure out how to get it. But you must subscribe to the streaming service to get the product. So now it's a one-to-one relationship. It's not, they took out the middleman of the cable company. It's not the Big Ten putting the squeeze on the cable company. It's the Big Ten putting the squeeze on you. And this is what they've decided to do. So eight games on Peacock this season, only on Peacock. And this is one uh, other area where it's a little bit different. So there's going to be an NBC game like every Saturday night this season. That the, the easy shorthand for how this Big this Big Ten TV package is going to work is that the, there's going to be a big game at noon on Fox. There's going to be a big game in like the three thirty window on CBS, and there's going to be a big game in prime time on NBC. That's not that different. It's just that the prime time game is not going to be ESPN or ABC, right? So it's not that different. And again, there's a little bit of a squeeze right now because in 2023, CBS still has the SEC. It's the last year of the SEC contract for CBS, but it's also their first year being involved with the Big Ten. So that 3.30 window for CBS is jam-packed. So there's not going to be as many CBS games this year, but there'll be Big Ten games this year because some of those windows will be CBS. will be the SEC. Too many, too many letters. Some of those 3.30 games will be the SEC on CBS. Some will be the Big Ten on CBS. So there's not a huge difference there. They have said... So, but the, the deal is the NBC games will also be streamed on Peacock because it's like, well, if you don't get, say you cut the cord 
and you don't have cable, but you have Peacock as your streaming service in order to get NBC programming, you'll also get the NBC games on Peacock. But there are going to be eight games, eight Big Ten games this year that are only on Peacock. None of those have been announced yet. What has been announced, for instance, is the Michigan State game at Ohio State on November 11th has been announced as a 7.30 NBC game. That's not on Peacock. So anybody has who has access to NBC will get it. So that's not a worry right now. If you had got ABC and ESPN in the old days for a primetime game, you get NBC for this. It's just different announcers. So no worries yet. Will Ohio State wind up on one of these in one of these eight Big Ten games? Almost a sh- yes. One of the eight is going to be Ohio State. When this deal was signed, all the people said, "Well, we're not going to put the best games on Peacock. We're not going to because you just get more money from big ratings." on a network and you get big advertising and that makes more sense monetarily. And also people won't freak out yet, but get ready because they're starting to announce times and networks for some of these games. So far, what's been announced for Ohio state is November 11th in Ohio stadium, primetime seven 30 on NBC against Michigan state. And they announced the Ohio state Michigan game will remain on Fox and remain at noon. We knew that just like before there remains a draft among the networks where they pick games. And again, the way it worked before was they actually picked weekends. We want, Fox says, we want the first pick in week 13. That's the last week of the regular season. And then within that, our first pick will be Ohio State, Michigan. So every year, because Fox had a little more ownership of it in that deal when it was ESPN and Fox, one of the things Fox had was the first pick every year. And every year, Fox took Ohio State, Michigan. Fox in this new agreement retains the number one pick. And as long as Ohio State, Michigan are anywhere close to what they are, that game will remain the number one pick. So Fox will stay the home of Ohio State, Michigan for the foreseeable future. And it is fortuitous, I think, that Fox has decided they want their marquee game at noon. It prevents us from having the possibility of the discussion of is Ohio State, Michigan going to move to prime time? Because if, for instance, in this new package, NBC had the number one pick, they paid extra to get the number one pick. Now we're having that discussion because NBC has the 8 p.m. slot. Fox has the number one pick and they have the noon slot. So we, the tradition can remain. So Ohio State, Michigan on Fox, Ohio State, Michigan State on NBC. Nothing really. What's the Peacock game going to be for Ohio State? And how are you going to feel about having to pay for a streaming service to get one game? Now, the other thing is there's going to be up to 47 men's basketball games and up to 30 women's basketball games on Peacock as well. I am curious about this because the plan for Peacock is they don't want you to come for one game, which is why they don't offer an a la carte. They don't say, hey, here's our subscription. Just get the Ohio State game. They want you to get it and then say, oh, look at this other show. I like this. Or, oh, I forgot to cancel it. Forgetting to cancel things is about 81% of the business model for media these days, which is why we proudly say, if you don't want the text, just respond, stop, and you're out. We don't go, we don't do it like that. Our model is not sign up and forget. It's not, not for the text. It's not at least 614-350-3315. So I don't think that's right. I wish there would be a way, like you probably would say, just tell me I'll pay to get access to every Ohio State game. Just give me that access. You can put it on whatever network you want to be on. Charge me whatever it costs. Make sure I'm covered. Make it as easy as possible, but I want every game. 
I don't want to have to make sure, do I have this streaming service? And then the thing that's complicated down the road is, what if you get multiple streaming services involved? Because CBS owns Paramount+. Plus. What if down the road, CBS says, well, we're going to take some of our CBS games and put some of those exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Now to watch a full Ohio State season, you'd have to get two streaming services? We're not there yet. But that's, I just, it's jacked up. Because they want to hold games hostage. So the thing I wonder about is, is Big Ten basketball good enough to get people to go to Peacock in a bigger way? Because maybe that one, now, if the Ohio State game is Youngstown State. If the Ohio State game is Rutgers. Maybe you'll be like, you know what? I'll go to my friend's house. I'll go to a bar. I'm not going to get Peacock just for one game. Or I'll just skip it. I'll listen to Buckeye talk after the game, and I'll read the stories at Cleveland.com, and I'll be covered. I don't need to watch that one. I would guess a lot of you will say, no, I still want to watch it. So maybe you'll do Peacock. I don't like it, though. I don't like games being held hostage. And the fear with the Big Ten Network back in the day was, are these games going to be held hostage? And then as it worked out, there was enough leverage from the Big Ten that the cable company said, hey, we'll do it. And you guys got your games. And the Big Ten Network wound up everywhere, almost everywhere, at least everywhere where Big Ten fans are for the most part. So I'll be curious to see how this goes. It's just trickling up, but prepare yourself. Really pay attention when the Peacock games get announced. They won't all get announced before the season. Some will be announced during the season. But I would not be shocked if we see an Ohio State Peacock game announced sometime in the next couple months. Now, they did all that's it's similar to when Ohio State once or twice a year would be on the Big Ten Network. And it usually would be a primetime game against a bad opponent. Because it's the only way, like, you know, for the Big Ten Network to get big ratings. It's like, okay, Ohio State Rutgers is going to be prime time on the Big Ten Network. I would guess that's how the Peacock game will go. If you wanted to say right now is the money that the one of the eight Peacock games this year is Ohio State Rutgers in prime time, I probably would say there's a very good chance of that. So I'm just trying to get you guys ready because I can, I'm getting ready to be mad about it. And it's one of those things. This is what's happening like with the Pac-12 network. And there's a lot of places that are saying like, well, maybe we'll sign with a, a streaming company as our provider. Could the Pac-12's main way of watching games be on Apple TV, for instance? Then you get a bunch of Tom Hanks movies. Tom Hanks makes all these B movies that are on Apple TV now. I feel like it just, I watched a movie that was just too, it wasn't bad. It was just Tom Cruise for, not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks on a boat. It is confusing when you talk about water. You want to say Tom Cruise. It was Tom Hanks on a cruise, except it wasn't a cruise. It was in a war. So Tom Hanks is the captain of a boat in a war for two hours. They didn't leave the boat. He barely left the captain's room. They shot it. They could shoot it in a bathroom. So you get that on Apple Plus along with the Pac-12 games. That's where they go. So as much as I've, I, I am not all the way there with like streaming services – if your if your conference goes all the way and says our games are going to be on Apple TV, then as a fan of the Pac-12, you say, okay, I'll get Apple TV, but it's worth it. I almost feel like that makes a little more sense than being like, oh, eight games a year are going to be on this streaming service. One Michigan game that might matter, one Ohio State game, a Penn State game. Hey, we're going to throw Nebraska, Minnesota on there. That's kind of interesting. The half measures where there's not enough value for you to really feel like you're getting the streaming value, but you feel like I can't miss it, so I got to do it. That almost bothers me more than if the if the, the Pac-12 just says we're on Apple. So anyway, get prepared for that. That might be too long of a rant on that. 
but it's starting to trickle. So have your ears open. We'll keep you posted at cleveland.com and on Buckeye Talk. Again, right now, it's just Ohio State, Michigan on Fox, Ohio State, Michigan State on NBC that we know so far. Okay, when we come back, I want to talk about Caleb Brown in Iowa. We'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. All right, Doug Lamarie's back. Let's talk a little about Caleb Brown. The transfer to Iowa happened a couple weeks ago. A couple people commented on it. Nathan and I talked about it briefly uh, at one point on a, on a Monday Madness, I think. But just this is probably how this should work. This might be one of the best examples of the portal in action, at least as it relates to Ohio State. I mean, there's been some really good ones, right? Jonah Jackson from Rutgers to Ohio State made a lot of sense. Justin Fields. As far as guys going out, Caleb Brown, who was a big-time recruit at Ohio State but was probably going to be no better than Ohio State's eighth receiver this year, I think he's Iowa's number one receiver this year. And that's probably how it should work. Now, I heard like third-hand that he got maybe a decent NIL package to go to Iowa, which is also how that should work. He's a second-year player who didn't play much last year. He's from Chicago to go to Iowa. But – Given what has happened at Iowa, and I don't know if I'm a contributor to this, but I'm not so sure there's a lot of Ohio State fans who are like, oh, Iowa, love it, love Iowa. It might create the one of the oddest transfer situations where I do think Ohio State fans are pretty darn good at continuing to, not if not root for, but support and have good feelings for guys who leave the program. You know, Joe Burrow, I think, is the best example of that. I don't think people were mad at Jamison Williams when he went to Alabama, but it's not direct. And so Ohio State doesn't play Iowa this year. But I'll be curious to see the reaction for Ohio State. Maybe there won't be much reaction for Ohio State fans to Caleb Brown at Iowa. I actually think maybe the biggest reaction will be if he doesn't succeed people being even more angry at Kirk Ferentz, Brian Ferentz, his son, the offensive coordinator, and the dysfunctional Iowa offense if they can't use Caleb Brown correctly. So there were some people who checked in with thoughts that I I just wanted to get to a little bit here on the podcast. This seems like a disaster for Caleb Brown. How does transferring there and not Wisconsin, Penn State, or Michigan make any sense? Beyond being the best receiver, he might be the most qualified person on campus to coach that room from the 609. So that's like support of Caleb Brown, like you're better than this, right? You're better than Iowa. Why did you go there? Iowa took an offensive player from Ohio State to troll you guys. Good job, LOL, from the 419. That also may may may, may have happened. That also may have happened. This point, I'd much rather have Caleb Brown in Iowa City than in Ann Arbor, though, from the 724. So Michigan's receiver room is okay, but I think Caleb Brown would have gotten on the field for Michigan this year right away also. So that point, that's really, that really would have been much more of a thing. From the 971, it's Kopi from Mishawaka. I hope Caleb Brown, Cade McNamara, who is the Iowa quarterback, who once was the Michigan quarterback, who led Michigan to the playoff two years ago. I hope Caleb Brown, Cade McNamara, and Iowa ball out this year. I want all Big Ten competition to ratchet up across the board. The Big Ten West dissolving will be for the best, but we need mid-tier programs to be more solid. This is the only time I believe a rising tide raises all ships. To fully compete with the SEC in recruiting, bowl games, playoffs, and draft picks, there needs to be a floor for expected overall play from teams 5 through 11 who make up the depth of the Big Ten. It'd also be helpful if Indiana could pull its head out of its whatever. So I do think this raises Iowa's floor a little bit. I mean, this guy, this guy's, he just couldn't get on the field. He didn't do anything wrong. 
he just was was backed up at Ohio State in a way he's not going to be at Iowa. But I, I do find it a little odd. I mean, listen, I think Brian Ferentz does a terrible job as the offensive coordinator. I think the stats show that. Wisconsin would have been really interesting because Wisconsin does not have depth at receiver either, but they have Phil Longo, who they brought in as the new offensive coordinator who's going to throw the ball around. At North Carolina for the last four years where he was the offensive coordinator, I was looking up some stuff the other day about this. And, um, oh, I mentioned it. I mentioned it on the most dangerous opponents thing when I talked about Phil Longo, right? That North Carolina was like in the top five in the power five when it comes to throwing the ball. And that's what Luke Fickle wants to do at Wisconsin. So I think Caleb Brown there, right, might have made a little more sense. I, I don't know if Iowa's going to be able to throw it or not. Now, a lot of people say, oh, the problem last year at Iowa, they, they were young on the offensive line, and that was a problem, and their two quarterbacks were bad. So if their offensive line gets a little bit older, and they're often good on the offensive line, and if Cade McNamara, who has proven he, he can win in the Big Ten, does that, they also got Eric All as a tight end from Michigan, like, like maybe they will be more functional. I would guess I, I think they'll be better than they were last year, but not much better. We all know that they set this threshold of Iowa needs to average 25 points a game or Brian Ferentz is going to lose his job. So they were very – Kirk Ferentz was upfront about wanting to get receiver help in the portal. And when their spring practice ended, Kirk Ferentz was talking about, oh, I've been talking to some interesting people in the portal. They brought in a guy, Seth Anderson, from Charleston Southern, which is an FCS school. He was the Big South – Offensive freshman of the year last year, they caught like 500 yards and receiving yards. He was way up their depth chart. They only bring one. So their two leading receivers at Iowa last year were both tight ends. Sam Laporta was a high pick in the NFL draft. Luke Lachey, Jim's son, Jim Lachey, the Ohio State announcer and former offensive line legend. Luke Lachey is back. But they lost one of their receivers in the portal to Oklahoma State. And when it comes to actually playing receiver, they only have one receiver back this year who had more than 100 receiving yards at Iowa last year. And they were excited. They added a guy from Charleston Southern who was getting like MAC offers in the portal. And they they beat out like Georgia Tech and the MAC to get this guy. So Caleb Brown, like compared to that, like I, I think he's their best receiver. They only had two healthy scholarship receivers the whole year. And I didn't realize this. I always wanted, well, it's not that great of a story. Ohio State had a walk-on receiver named Austin Kutcher for several years. And Ashton Kutcher, the uh, dude wears my car, not dude wears my car. Hey, we're in the basement smoking weed. That show, what's it called? That 70s show. He married Mina Mila Kunis. Ashton Kutcher. Uh, not so. They found him. He was discovered in a mall in Iowa. So I got to be a famous actor. They were like, you're tall and lanky and attractive at an Iowa mall. You want to be an actor? And he's like, yeah. So he's a big Iowa fan. Ashton Kutcher. Austin Kutcher transferred from Ohio State to Iowa. Austin Kutcher was on the Iowa roster this spring. And like you look at some message boards and it was like, oh, well, they, they had Ohio State walk on Austin Kutcher. And it's like, maybe he'll help the receiver room. It's like, if they thought maybe he was going to help the receiver room, he played in three games at Ohio State. Caleb Brown is going to be revelation. Caleb Brown's going to be Tim Dwight. I mean, Caleb Brown's going to be the best thing the Iowa passing game seen in 20 years. But I can't believe, I don't know, Austin Kutcher, the Ohio State former walk-on, is from Massillon. So I think maybe he transferred to Iowa just for the name. Because if your name's Austin Kutcher, and there's a guy from Iowa who's a big Iowa football na fan named Ashton Kutcher, 
you're probably going to get to meet him because when he shows up at a game, they'll introduce you because that's crazy. And then maybe you get to meet Mila Kunis. So that's as good of a reason to transfer as any. So good luck to Caleb Brown. Like I'm intrigued. And it's almost one of those things. Like, I don't want to say like I'm rooting against the Ferences. I just don't think the Ferences should have their jobs anymore. But I'm in, I'm intrigued to watch what I assume is going to be a train wreck as Iowa tries to maneuver this. We've got to score 25 points a game thing this year. And you don't want Caleb Brown caught up in the wreck. But he also might be their savior. He might be the person, honestly. Caleb Brown might be the person that saves Brian Ferentz's job. So interesting transfer. Wanted to get people checking in on that. We talked about Marv on a pod from the 314. Good pod on Marv. I'm thinking maybe it's the highest amount of hype since Big Daddy, since Dan Wilkinson was coming back and then became the number one pick in the draft. But I guess he was a year or two before Orlando Pace. We had said maybe it's since Pace. So I think the most hyped players in Ohio State history wouldn't be a bad preseason podcast. I do think Troy Smith was pretty hyped coming off. What he did in 04 in the back half of that year, including beating Michigan with an amazing game. Then what he did in 05 when Ohio State was a legit national title contender, once they figured out the stuff at the beginning of the year. And again, he did it again. I mean, the, the, the great win in Ann Arbor, right? I mean, the helicopter catch with Anthony Gonzalez, that 05 win. We knew what Troy Smith was. And so maybe not, I think we were talking about Marv hype as an NFL prospect, general hype as a great Buckeye, holy moly, what's this guy going to do in the scarlet and gray this season? I think I think maybe Troy Smith is a line in the sand there a little bit that could be a reference point a little bit with Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, we got a mini rant for the 937. It's Justin, who's actually in the 513, but his number is still 937. The numbers show up on text. I understand the term redshirt freshman, but does that even matter anymore? Just say second year player. It doesn't really matter if he played as a freshman or not. Sometimes when people describe players as redshirt freshmen, they make it seem like a huge deal that they're being considered for playing time. They're a second-year player. They should be seeing the field at that point. Rant over. So, Justin, I, there's a there's a point here that I do think it's not just semantics because there are some things where, where places do, like, all freshman teams, freshman All-American kind of stuff. And I do think there is a great difference in evaluating players that way between I'm a freshman, I just got here, I was trying to figure out where the bathrooms in the freshman dorm were, and I've been here for a whole year. I didn't play, but I got a lay of the land. I practiced all year. I was on scout team. And so now I'm a redshirt freshman. So like to compare those two players together, I do think there's something lacking there, but it is why we don't call them all freshmen or we say true freshmen, redshirt freshmen. But I do think freshman All-American teams should probably be true freshman All-American teams. You just got here and you did this. Now, there aren't as many guys who do stuff. So you can all of a sudden have an All-American team where it's like, hey, our left guard started three games in November, right? But that's the point, how hard it is to do it right away. Think about Ohio State. Think about how many guys really do stuff as a true freshman. I also wonder, COVID has jacked all this up. I mean, also COVID jacked up the world for a year and a half. So I don't think we should complain about like, oh man, I can't believe the pandemic, what it did to football player class designations. Thanks a lot, COVID. I wonder if we get to a point, and people have talked about this, just forget the red shirt stuff. Just give everybody five years. 
And if you want to play five, fine. I do think a lot of the stuff, I don't talk about red shirts anymore because I would say it's not even 90% of times, maybe more like 80% of the time. It just doesn't matter because if you're really good and we had a red shirt conversation, you're not going to stay for year five. You're not. You're going to get to the league. Even if you have the eligibility, five years is a long time in college. Or if you redshirt and you don't play or you play very little in year one, are you really going to be an impact player then in year five that you don't go to the league, but it's like, oh my gosh, thank you, thank goodness we have this guy back. Holy moly. If we didn't have this guy in year five, where would our team be? I, that happens on the offensive line, but that's about the only place it happens. So. Like the idea of like, oh, a guy's played, you know, three games, should he redshirt or not or whatever. I just think those conversations are kind of pointless because you're thinking about a future two or three or four years down the line. And really you're thinking about a future four years down the line because the only reason that redshirting matters is, is the guy going to then be around for a fifth year when otherwise he wouldn't be around if he didn't redshirt? Well, how often does an impact, an impact player stick around for year five? in a way that changes your team. I just don't think it's that much. And that wouldn't be a bad, that would not be a bad podcast. The most impactful fifth years in Ohio State football history, where it was like, thank goodness they didn't waste that guy's year in year one. So, but in the end, and 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 a lot of it, especially with the COVID stuff, we are getting, even on the rosters, we're getting more toward year one, year two, year three, as opposed to the redshirt stuff. And I know some schools don't even think about calling you a red shirt until you're in your fifth year. So there are schools who would list. I think Michigan has done this at times and maybe Notre Dame at times where you're listed as a senior on the roster all year, but you're not a senior because you have a year of eligibility left because you redshirted as a freshman, but you can't become like the idea that you can't be a red shirt until you use the red shirt, that you can never be a red shirt, freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior. You can only be a red red shirt senior. Because the redshirt doesn't apply until you use it. But then it's very confusing. It's like, oh, Michigan has all these seniors. It's like, oh, yeah, but 40% of them can be back because they actually redshirted, but they're listed as seniors now. A lot of it is semantics, but I do think it matters. I do think in the end, when it's how we evaluate players, wow, I can't believe this guy's doing it. Wow, I can't believe he's doing this. Oh, the expectations. He's only a freshman. I do think there is a large gap between true freshmen and redshirt freshman, and I think that's the point that Justin is getting to. So let's give the true freshman their due. Okay, tiny bit of betting, tiny bit of offensive line talk. We'll wrap this up on Buckeye Talk next. All right, wrapping it up here on Buckeye Talk. Mini, mini kind of rants. Offensive line talk from the 305. I just listened to your over one-hour podcast on the offensive line. Again, this this text is from a little bit ago. We did that big offensive line podcast about two weeks ago. You talked about the past a lot, recruiting, developmental strategies, past coaches, success and failures, but I never once heard anything at all about about why Ben Chrisman transferred. I never heard Max Ray or Ryan Jacoby. Kirk Barton mentions them a lot on his show. Avril Henry, why? Okay, so first of all, I don't think any of those guys would be making a difference on this offensive line, which is why. Like, why? Because I didn't think it mattered. So Ryan Jacoby transferred to Pitt. He was like a top 200 national recruit from the Cleveland area, from Mentor, like good player. Was at Ohio State in 19 and 20 as a backup. 
transferred to Pitt last year, didn't didn't start, and then or no, transferred to Pitt in twenty twenty one, didn't start, and then last year he was like their extra tight end. So he played in all thirteen games at Pitt in twenty twenty two. And he made five stars, but each of the five stars was when he was like the second tight end as an offensive lineman. So he wasn't a starting offensive lineman. So if Ryan Jacoby was at Ohio State right now, he would be a fifth-year player. He would be a guard. And in his two years at Pitt, he didn't yet start at Pitt. So why? what would you like us to say about Ryan Jacoby at Ohio State? He would not be starting over Matthew Jones or Donovan Jackson on the interior. So, okay, I talked about Ryan Jacoby. Max Ray was a pretty big-time recruit out of Tennessee, transferred to Colorado, played a little bit at Colorado in 21, had injury issues, and medically retired, unfortunately for Max Ray. Played a handful of games at Colorado. So I don't. what do you want me to say about Max Ray? And then Ben Chrisman, we were a little surprised he transferred. We thought Ben Chrisman would have an opportunity to maybe start on the interior of Ohio State's offensive line next year but not this year. He's not beating out Donovan Jackson or Matthew Jones this year. So he left. And again, he was a top 150 national recruit. I, I, what do you? Why did he transfer? Probably because he wanted to play faster and he wasn't going to start at Ohio State this year. It's and then, and then Henry is recovering from cancer and is like an awesome story. And like, it's, it's so exciting that he, that Avery Henry has at, seemingly, he's reported that there's no more cancer detected in his body. It's an unbelievable story. So Avery Henry winds up in a cancer battle instead of a battle for, to fight to for to play on the offensive line. So I don't know what your text is supposed to be, but we were mostly talking about tackles because that's where the issues are right now. And none of the guys that you talked about were going to affect the tackle situation at Ohio State right now. So if you're implying like, oh, you talked for an hour, why don't you talk about any of this important stuff that other people are talking about? Ryan Jacoby's a fifth-year guard who has not started yet. And they have Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones. So that's why we didn't talk about him because we didn't think it was like a big part of the offensive line discussion. I hope that helps. This is Jim and Hensdale. The offensive line discussion was interesting enough that I actually did research. I realized you're Ohio State focused, so you don't have the larger picture sometimes, but I wondered how Ohio State's offensive line was compared to Michigan. Just looking at stuff, looking at the 247 rankings for Michigan, he went through a bunch of guys where their rankings are not that dissimilar to what some of Ohio State's were. This looks to be an awful lot like what you describe Ohio State's upcoming offensive line as being. If Harbaugh could make lemonade out of this group, maybe Day and Fry can too. It also seems to make a strong case for the development over recruiting argument. And last point, Michigan's offensive line starts to feature the top 200 guys. How, when they do, how much should Ohio State fans be worried? So, okay. So the, the bottom line here is that, yes, there are some good players that, again, there's not, I, I don't think Michigan's doing it with Paris Johnson type recruits, right? Um, you look at Zach Zinter, you look at, um, you know, Olu Olu with Timmy last year was a transfer from Virginia. They have, they have two more guys who are transferring in this year. I, I get all of that. So how do, how do I say this? Like the production is what matters. And yes, I think it is valuable to use context of other teams. But the context that we typically use is Ohio State's own context. And so if Ohio State has a tradition of when they are doing well 
at a position group, this is typically how they recruit. They have this many guys who are starting on the offensive line who are this level of recruit. They have a couple diamonds in the rough that they develop, that kind of thing. I do think more often than not, that's a more valuable context because if you're just talking about schools where they can't recruit as well as Ohio State, if they have any level of success, it has to come from lower rated players because they don't have the higher rated players. So Sharon Moore, as the offensive line coach at Michigan the past couple of years, the offensive coordinator has done a fantastic job. That style of play, they've leaned into developing that. So we noted that we think the Ohio State development at the end of Greg's to draw kind of fell off a little bit as the recruiting fell off. I guess if the argument is development matters more than recruiting on the offensive line, that's pro- I th- that's probably a factual statement. I would yield to that statement. But I think we can also say often Ohio State's, some of the Ohio State's very good offensive linemen were also high recruits. Donovan Jackson was a high recruit. Paris Johnson was a high recruit. Taylor Decker was a high recruit, right? Knowing, yes, there's a Dewan, Luke Whippler was a high recruit. Sometimes it's Dewan Jones. Sometimes it's Pat Elfline. We understand that. But I know what Jim's doing and I appreciate it because the context, we're constantly searching for context here. And on the College Football Survivor Show, we, we search for context even more. But I still think it's fair to say that compared to its own standard, Ohio State has not neither recruited nor developed on the offensive line as we sit here right now, as well as they have in years past. And while acknowledging your point, I think it's not impossible that we would get to the end of this year and be like, man, Look at the way they developed Zed Mahalski and Josh Fryer, and they they played great. Now, if it's Tegra Shabola, I don't think we'd say that as much because he was a higher rate of recruit. It's not, a, and that we won't be saying Tegra Shabola doesn't deserve credit and that Justin Fry doesn't deserve credit, but that would probably be, hey, like Luke Whippler, Luke Whippler was forced to hit a year early. Tegra Shabola was forced to hit a year early. Congrats to that young man. He got it done earlier than expected. Not that maybe he wasn't ever expected to get it done. But to have to be – so Hinsman, so it's two discussions on the Ohio State offensive line, right? Shibola and Hinsman, if they start, they there's three discussions. As we covered there, it's three, right? Transfer, development, recruiting. Shibola and Hinsman are early development, okay? Because they both are guys you maybe would – when they got here, you would expect them to start. They just will, might have to start in year two this year. Vic Cutler at center, Josh Simmons at right tackle, that would be successful transfers. Which again, Olu Oluwatimi from Michigan last year was a successful transfer. Michigan will start either two or three. For all the credit their offensive line gets, Michigan's going to start two or three transfers on the offensive line this year. So if Vic Cutler or Josh Simmons hit, great. Okay, you manage the transfer portal effectively. And then Zed Mahalski, Josh Fryer, if those guys start and play well, that's, hey, they weren't super high recruits, but Josh, Justin Fry did a good job and credit to them for elevating themselves. So I appreciate the discussion and the comparison, but I do think more often than not, the best, the best comparison for Ohio State is to itself. Another offensive line after listening to the offensive line pod, people responded to that pod. I have a quick question. How much does the threat of the wide receivers that Ohio State puts on the field help the line? How many teams are going to single up Marv to send heat at the quarterback? I'm imagining a lot more soft defenses for fear of getting roasted by the skill talent Ohio State can put on the field from the 937. So I do think maybe the thing that can help an offensive line the most is a quarterback who can move. 
that if you blitz the quarterback, he's going to take off. I think that can be really effective in keeping um, – and that keeps the pass rush under control too. You've got to stay in your pass rush lanes. You don't want to lose contain because you think, oh, I beat my guy. I beat the offensive lineman, but then I ran past the quarterback and he escaped outside or we left a lane. We ran a stunt. We left a lane in the middle. He shot through that and ran. The receivers – like because you could say, what's the best way to stop Marv? Is it to drop eight, not have much of a pass rush – and try to clog up the passing lanes, maybe. Or is it to bring six guys, add two blitzers to your front four, because you want to get after the quarterback, you think the offensive line is a weakness, and the best way to stop Marv is to let the quarterback not get rid of the ball. It's to sack the How do you stop Marvin Harrison? Sack the quarterback. How do you stop Marvin Harrison? Flush the quarterback and make him throw it out of bounds. So I, I don't know that the receivers will save the line. I understand the thinking. I appreciate the thought. I think it's I think it's a smart way of trying to think about it. How can Ohio State's offensive strength perhaps help their weakness? I I don't know if it's going to do it all the way though. Cuz if it were me, especially if you have an accurate quarterback who's smart, which it's very possible Kyle McCord and or Devin Brown could fit that description. CJ certainly fit it, especially in year 2. Man, you can drop eight, but like, are they still going to get you? You're better off trying to get after the quarterback. So, I don't, I don't know. But when I think of offensive line, a lot of times I think what the blitz is, it's more that's more schematic and communication. I think the concern to me at this point is, are are they just going to lose one on one battles, and that you uh, opponents don't have to blitz, but edge guys are just beating the tackles, and that's it, just one on one. Aiden Hutchinson beats the tackle. Boom. He didn't blitz, but all of a sudden the play's blown up. That is where I think it's more of a concern for Ohio State. Couple little betting things. Again, I we had talked about this on a pod. I'm continuing to work on a story on it. I know it doesn't interest some people. Since we talked about it with the allegations against the Alabama baseball coach who was fired after it was reported that he was communicating with someone who was placing a bet in Ohio, there has been a rash of questions around both Iowa and Iowa State, multiple sports and player like questions around, are there betting things happening there? Um, it, it, it is messy from the 408, no, the 480. Sports gambling should be allowed on all of it, and the program should want it. So the college program should want sports gambling, this texter says. Degenerates will bet anything and everything, which is more eyes and more interest in all collegiate sports. The NCAA should smash the Bama baseball program and send a message that will keep any coach or program from even thinking about doing this. But the boost in interest outweighs the jerks who will try to fix games and get caught sports gambling and who will try to fix games and get caught. Sports gambling isn't coming. It's already here. And the NCAA needs to be loud and clear on what happens if it's abused by coaches. I think there's a lot of good points from the 480. Like, I do think punishment, right, is a really effective way. The idea that, like, we're somehow going to, like, raise interest levels in smaller sports by having betting. I, I, It's just like, is that the kind of interest that you want? Like, I, I don't mean to be Pollyanna about it, but that, as I talked about before, and I had a lot of people, after talking about it on the podcast, sort of push back on, why would I be in favor of limiting college sports betting to only football and basketball? What's the difference? And to me, it's an argument about interest. And lower interest sports, are they more susceptible? Are the athletes more susceptible to abuse, just like angry gamblers, that they're more susceptible to that? And then is it more susceptible to people infiltrating it? 
because there's not the spotlight, because there's not the great interest. And when you play baseball, excuse me, when you play basketball or football, you sort of get all the perks of that, right? Hey, wow, everybody really cares about me. If you're playing another sport, like the diehards care about you, there's not as many of them. But now if you're getting like gambling nuisance, gambling flack in your life, I don't know. And I just, I don't know if I buy the idea of like, oh, wow, we're really going to drum up interest in college across because of betting. I, I don't know. I don't, and, and I guess all all publicity is good publicity. Like, hey, we'll take, even if it's, and degenerate, even if it's people who gamble, oh, lacrosse, lacrosse ratings are through the roof. Oh, we get, our attendance went up 20%. Even if it's all gamblers, I guess you take it, I guess. I just don't actually think that would happen. I think there would be some specific interests who might be trying to get an edge in gambling who may create circumstances that make the sport less appealing to the athletes and less appealing to the people who care about those sports anyway, that like let the niche sports be niche for the athletes and the fans. And that if they're going to grow, they should grow organically. And are you really going to grow it? Are you going to grow college tennis because people can bet on it? I, I, I think that seems rest, less realistic to me than could you create a world where a young man or woman loses a tennis match and somebody's mad at them because they lost money on it or somebody's yelling at them at, at an event or contacts them at social media or tries to infiltrate something. I just see the bad for the smaller sports, the opportunity for the bad more than I see interest rising up in a good way. I just, that's how I, and again, I'm still evolving. So I'm still, if you're interested in this topic and you're a texture, I'm interested in hearing from you. 614-350-3315. And you, you may talk me out of it. And people sent responses. I read everything. I, I, you are affecting how I think about it. So I asked betting questions from the 847. Um, as for betting, I think it does a lot of harm that gets brushed aside by almost all sports media. In fact, it's glamorized, but it happens. So banning it seems pointless. If you aren't going to ban it for football and basketball, don't ban it for anything. So um, this this person like did not like the gambling conversation, and this one also didn't like it. I think all this is from the two eight one. I I think all major sports betting is extremely problematic, but that ship has sailed with three to one odds. I can't imagine how it will not eventually start having some impact on the college games. So I guess that the idea is if you think the ship has sailed, is that it? There's nothing you can do other than an outright ban. What else could you do? I agree. It's it's here, but can you regulate it then in some way to maximize the good and minimize the bad? That doesn't have to be all or nothing, especially in a world where we're admitting it's never going to be nothing again. Nothing is out of the barn. So does that mean it has to be all? That's where I'm looking for answers in between. I wanted to read this, though, because we need to hear this from the 281. I also am not a fan of sports journalists shilling for bookies. Seems a bit tawdry. Keith from Houston. So we have ads here. I've done live reads for sports betting, and I will tell you that sports betting and the way that it has advertised, it it has made an impact, right? It's it's when you hear all those advertisements and you heard them on when it launched in Ohio on January 1st, you heard them on radio stations, you saw them on TV, you heard them on podcasts, you heard gambling stuff everywhere. And we were, we are a sports podcast and we were doing sports gambling ads. 
And that's true. And I'm not going to agree or disagree with your opinion, Keith, that it's tawdry. You don't like it when we shill for it. I mean, like, we do ads for all kinds of stuff, right? We I did an ad, like a live read for like a, a thing that you're supposed to use to like trim your hair all over your body. So ads are part of it. I mean, you know, Kevin Hart does gambling ads. Um, Rob Gronkowski does gambling ads. Jamie Foxx does. Like there's all kinds of much more. Well, I mean, Buckeye Talk's pretty famous. I don't want to say more famous than us as famous as us. So, but I will say I would never let any ad that I read affect the the truth, my true opinions about subjects and what I tell you. I would never hold back just because maybe somebody advertises with us. I'd rather lose the advertisement. So like, I'm, I'm never going to tell you anything other than what I think. And so what I think is, I think sports betting should be legal. I think most things like that, in my opinion, you're better off legalizing it and regulating it in some way than trying to say, no, you can't do it. I do think people are adults. I think I think they should have that right. However, when it comes to amateur sports and unpaid athletes, I do think perhaps some regulation that attempts to protect the amateur athletes who are gaining nothing from the gambling going on in their sports. They're not making any money, and that attention is not, you know, hey, cool. I don't think that's unreasonable to think about protecting them. And the sports, pro sports, pro sports, millionaires and millionaires, they can handle it. And then the pro, the college sports that are most like pro sports, like it or not, I think they get treated closer to pro sports. I think college football and basketball players should be treated closer to NFL and NBA players than they should be treated to lacrosse and tennis and baseball players. So that's where I am on that. Okay. I know sometimes you guys don't like the gambling content. Sometimes you do. Just wanted to brush on some stuff. Monster pods ahead. Monster. Awesome. All of us again. You're sick of me after two days in a row of just Doug, but we appreciate you hanging in for now for Buckeye Talk. No, that's not how I say it. For me, that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.